Hello and welcome back to Wyatt Podcast. My name is Leonardo Pasquale. I'm the head of training of Wyatt, a London-based wine training and event company. In this episode, Anne Creebill, master of wine and German wine expert, will explain why it is wrong to generalize the style of German Riesling. In the next episode, she will discuss why Riesling shapes how Germans think about wine. And why in Germany Riesling is able to reach the most diverse expression. In the last episode, Anne will answer the questions all German Riesling fans will have: How do I know that my Riesling is dry? If you enjoyed listening to Anne Kribel, I'm sure you will also enjoy her book, The Wines of Germany. So the title here is everything you ever wanted to know about German Riesling, but were afraid to ask because it's been said to me that German wines, even for professionals, are the bane of some people's lives, and you know pronunciation and the weird German wine law and blah blah, and somehow in all of this insecurity about the wine law and getting it right or wrong or understanding it, the joy of Riesling sometimes gets forgotten. But it's such a distinctive grape that we just need to get a grip. Okay, so um, I always like to start with a map of Europe because in that map of Europe, it be- it becomes absolutely clear that Germany is in the very heart of Europe um, because sometimes people think that um, wine growing is just imported in Italy, France, and Spain, but in fact.、Um, Viticulture was very, very, very widespread in the medieval warm period, as far north as Poland. And we now, of course, everybody knows that there is wine growing, gorgeous wine growing in England too.、Um, but Germany, you see,、um, and Germany's wine regions. If you draw a line between that little piece of land called Luxembourg and the furthest, the westernmost corner of the Czech Republic. Um, you prob- you're just about、uh, on the 51st degree of latitude, and this is where German viticulture really has its northerly confine. So we're really very, very much in the European heartland. Now, Riesling is a grape variety, and it is a fragrant white, dry or sweet wine made from this grape. So this is just a, a dictionary.、Um, Definition of Riesling, and then comes the quote from Queen Bee, from the absolute wonder woman of wine, Chances Robinson. She said that Riesling is one of the world's greatest white wine grapes, capable of making particularly geographically expressive and long-lived white wines at all sweetness levels, which means all dryness levels too. So from bone dry. To tooth-breakingly sweet and anything in between, and this is where already where the problem starts because Riesling is so many things. So, the actual plant, the actual vine, Riesling, is very hardwood, much harder than many other grape varieties, and this is why it is so suited to Germany, which before climate change was still a lot cooler than it is now, and so. The hardiness of the wood meant that it would withstand winter frosts much better than other grape varieties. So this is nothing really to to do with the way it tastes or the way it grows. It's just that it survives in a cool climate when you have very harsh winters. 
and you could have had, there were winters in Germany with below 20 degrees Celsius. So this used to happen a lot and Riesling could withstand it. And some people actually believe that Riesling got to a predominant stage in Germany, especially in places like the Rheingau, after a series of particularly cold winters in the early 18th century. The other thing that's great about Riesling is that it buds late. So um, you have spring frosts and um, they usually can last until the 15th of May, until mid-May and sometimes even later. But for Riesling, that's not such a problem because it's a late starter. And so it misses that spring frost danger and um, and therefore you have fruit, you know, yeah, you have fruit and, and that doesn't freeze, little shoots that don't freeze to death. And the interesting thing is that Riesling, and this is very important in terms of German Riesling, it's a grape variety that is mid to late ripening. That means, say, if you have Pinot varieties, if you're a winemaker who grows Pinot varieties, who grows Silvana, who grows uh, Müller Thurgau, and who grows Riesling, Riesling is the grape that you will harvest last because it's a mid to late ripening grape variety. And we shall see that this actually has a big bearing on why Riesling tastes the way it does. Riesling also has an affinity for Botrytis cinerea, for noble rot, because it has um, thin skins. And probably the single most distinguishing factor of Riesling is its acidity. And um, I love acid, and I will talk about acid later on as well, but high acid is really what makes Riesling stand out. And for me, acid in wine, in any wine, whether it is Riesling or whether it is fine champagne or great Pinot Noir or great Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, you name it, I love high acid wines. And to me, acid is like the spotlight. That's kind of this halogen spotlight that shines brightly and nothing can hide. And this is what makes Riesling so transparent and so exciting. And also, the other way of looking at Riesling is that you probably know that we have very, very, very aromatic grape varieties like Muscat or like Gewürztraminer or Sauvignon Blanc, whereas uh, we have less aromatic varieties like Chardonnay. That's why you can smell winemaking so much on Chardonnay, like malolactic fermentation with that creaminess or the new oak or the so, so in a way that's you can smell that so well because chardonnay is not that aromatic riesling is pitched in between the very aromatic and the less aromatic grape variety so it's semi-aromatic which means that it has a terpene content terpenes are the the um the volatile um flavor compounds that are um, in the grape's skin and in the grape flesh and so where you know like Riesling is just semi-aromatic and it can have beautiful flavors especially for me of citrus which drives me wild I love that when I can smell citrus flavors sometimes it's floral sometimes it's herbal so um, this is to me the joy of Riesling now I am German. What would a German girl be without her statistics? Okay, so um, we have in 2018, Germany had 102,873 hectares of vineyards and we have 13 wine regions in Germany. I'll show you 
in a, on a map in a little moment. And those 13 regions in Germany cover four degrees of latitude. So if we start in Baden at the Swiss border, in the very south of Germany, you're at 47 and a half, and we go up to the vineyards of Saale und Strut to 51 and a half. So that's four degrees of latitude. And Germany is a, is a very old wine producing country, but it's only the 14th largest in the world. And the, one of the hindering factors that it hasn't got more importance in the wine world, but which also on the other side makes it beautiful because it is so diverse, is that the producer base is very, very fragmented. So um, the German wine statistics are published, but the latest figures here are from 2016, not from 2018. Um, but we had 15,931 estates, so almost 16,000 estates. And most of them have between half a hectare and 10 hectares of vines. And this shows you how fragmented the German wine industry really is. And also, this is a development that has taken place over the past 30 years. Just over a third of Germany's vineyards are now planted to red varieties, when two thirds are still absolutely in the hand of white varieties. And this, I, I think information is only ever good if it comes with context. So if we look at the world wine production, if we look at all of the vineyards across the world, there are 7,449,000 hectares of vineyards in the world. And in Germany, there are just 103,000 hectares. So Germany has just got 1% of the world's vineyards. So it's a tiny, tiny little operator. As a, as a contrast, just the wine region of Bordeaux alone in France has got 112,000 hectares. So Bordeaux alone has got more hectares than Germany. Champagne has about 34,000 hectares. New Zealand um, has about 39,000 hectares. And as, as I said, Germany has just below 103,000 hectares. However, today we want to focus on Riesling. And you see that we take, if we take all of the Riesling vineyards in the world and the greatest Riesling producers, you see that Germany has got an immense head start. Nobody grows as much Riesling as the Germans do. So Germany, which has 1% of the world's vineyard, has got 51% of the world's Riesling vineyards. And this is why Riesling is such a flagship variety for Germany. And of course, we know the other interesting Riesling countries. What I find surprising here in this statistic is that Romania has 6,121 hectares of Riesling. And I have to confess to my shame, I've never tasted a Romanian Riesling. So I need to put that on my to-do list. Then this is followed by the US with four, 1,600 hectares, and we know that most of them are, um, there's some in the Finger Lakes, but a lot of them are in Washington on the West Coast. And then we have France with 4,000 hectares of uh, Riesling, and they are pretty much all in Alsace, and we know how thrilling Alsace Riesling can be, which is something we have to bear in mind later when we look at Baden. 
And then another absolutely distinct, perfect new world style of Riesling is in Australia, predominantly from Eden and Clare, um, but also ever more in other places. And I love that diversity. Then we have Ukraine, again, never had a Ukrainian Riesling, never had a Chinese Riesling. And then of course there's Riesling in a few places uh, in the rest of the world, but it doesn't show up on the stats. But I just wanted to show you Germany, just 1% of world vineyards, but 51% of the world's Riesling. So here we go, yeehaw. These are our 13 um, growing regions in Germany. And as I said earlier, if you draw a kind of line between Luxembourg and uh, the Czech Republic, you will almost have the northern confine of viticulture. And you see that our outliers, we have two outliers, are Saxon here in the east, which is on the river Elbe. And then we have Saale Unstrut, which is actually furthest north, um, is on the two rivers Saale and Unstrut. When all of the rest of the German wine regions are really down in the southwest. And so you have the R up here, which you know, um, I don't know whether if I point my cursor, can you see my cursor on the screen? Oh, perfect. Good. So here we have the, the R region, for, which is very well known for its Pinot Noir. And then we have Mittelrhein, which is actually this kind of region here that goes from, from where the end of the Rheingau is all the way up to Bonn. And there is thrilling Riesling here, even though many people sort of forget Mittelrhein, but it's a thrilling, thrilling region. Here we have Mosel Saarruwe, and uh, because of the coloring here, I don't know how clear it is, but you can see the little Mosel River snaking in its sort of meandering band. And then, of course, we have here the little spot of Rheingau, which is really, really important for Riesling's history. And we have the Nahe, this purple spot here, which I think makes some of the most thrilling, thrilling and exciting Rieslings today. And you have this vast part of Rheinhessen, where you have very, very diverse Riesling um, from sort of Rhyolit, um, the Red Slope, sort of really savory Riesling. And then you have these cool, cool Rieslings further south from um, the limestone soils. And then we have the Pfalz, which is this pink spot here. Pfalz, those gorgeous dry Rieslings that are just, ooh, um, they are there to me are joyful and measured and really, if you like dry, that's where you should go. And now this is interesting. When people speak about Riesling, they usually speak about Pfalz, Rheinhessen, Mosel, Saarruwe and the Rheingau. And they completely forget about Franken, Franconia, Württemberg and Baden. And when you go to the big tastings in Germany, say the VDP release tasting, many people don't deign to taste Riesling from Baden or from Württemberg. They sort of pull their nose up. And I think um, that's really stupid because if you look here, if you are, say, where are we? Where's my cousin? In Freiburg. You go across the River Rhine. Here's the Rhine Plain. And what is here, which you can't see because this is a German map? Here is Alsace. And you know how celebrated Alsace-Riesling is. So it would be a fool who ignored Baden-Riesling because it can be very, very interesting uh, just because 
it's just like Alsace Riesling. It's got, it's got it's rounder, riper, but just as expressive. There are also historic Riesling vineyards in Württemberg and some very, very interesting and individual styles. And then, of course, we have Frank, Frank, um, Franken, Franconia, where we have some gorgeous um, Riesling vineyards. So, again, don't forget Franken, Baden and Württemberg. Um, and there's also Riesling in Sachsen. It ripens um, on beautiful granite soils um, because the, these slopes just look beautifully um, to the sun, into the sunshine. And of course, you have Riesling in Saale und Stroh too. So I'm telling you that Germany has 13 regions across four degrees of latitude with any imaginable soil. And you've got Riesling in every single one of those regions. And then people think, what is German Riesling? And they try and define it. And they try and say, oh, this is German Riesling. But that doesn't work because German Riesling can only ever be an umbrella term for this wild, amazing, mind-bending varieties and diversity that you actually have. Because how could you compare um, a Riesling grown on granite on the slopes of the Black Forest to one grown on slate in the Mosel, to one grown on, um, on Triassic limestone in Franken, to one grown on slate in the Middle Rhine in a really cool, cool lateral valley. So in a way you have, you can't just say what is German Riesling because German Riesling is everything. And this is where it becomes so difficult because there, is, there are no simple answers. I wish there were, but there aren't. But hey, that's why all of us have got between 1.4 and 1.5 liters of brain. So we need to use them. The latitudes. And I love this because again, if I give you information, it only makes sense if it comes with context. And so, for instance, Stockholm in Sweden is at 59.3 degrees north. Edinburgh in Scotland is at 55.95. Right now, here in London, where I am in northeast London in Leytonstone, right now we're at 51.5. And then you have Dresden, Meissen near Dresden in Saxony is at 51.16. I told you German vineyards go up to 51.5. That would be the northernmost outpost in Saale Unstrut. But so the R is at 50.5. Rüdesheim in the Rheingau is at 49.98 north. However, if you go to Schloss Johannesberg in Geisenheim, and if you stand on the vineyard and the it's beautiful Schloss Johannesberg, Johannesberg is this, is this beautiful um, Schloss, this chateau at the top, and it has got this slope down to the River Rhine. And this very vineyard is exactly on the 50th degree of latitude. And they put up a sign and it's wonderful to, to stand there and to think, oops, here I am exactly on 50 degrees north. Just just same as when you go to Greenwich and you can stand on the zero meridian of longitude. And then you see that Würzburg is almost as far north as the Rheingau with 49.78, the Mosel 49.75, the Pfalz at 49.35. So you actually are not moving that far for north and south and yet the styles between Pfalz 
and Mosul are so different. So we know there's more to um, topography and soil is, more, is, is just as important as latitude. But as a comparison, think at 49.26, you have Reims in Champagne, and we all know what the wine style is there. And then you just cross the border into, into Pfalz, and we know that they have a very different style of winemaking from Reims. And you know why that is? Because of the hard mountains. The hard mountains are the continuation of the Vosges mountains, and this is a north-south axis, and these mountains stop the weather. So they're a break between the Atlantic influence that still hits Champagne, and then you are much more continental in Germany. So that's why you have such a different wine style, despite very similar latitudes. Paris is at 48.8, and then Alsace is at 48, whereas um, in Baden you have, because Baden is so long and thin along the River Rhine, you go from 47 and a half um, in the very south of Baden to 48.46 in Offenburg and then even further north to the Kreichgau near Karlsruhe. We know Burgundy is at 47, Ampuy in the Rhone at 45.8, Montpellier in the Languedoc at 43, Florence in Tuscany at 43, Jerez, Andalusia, where you have a sherry, is almost an African latitude with 36 degrees north. Just to give you a, a latitudinal context and why, um, again, to explain that the styles are so different between Baden-Riesling and Sachsen-Riesling or Mosel-Riesling because you have such, um, such a lot of latitude. Mm -hmm.